FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 171 of the podcast that goes snicked. <laughs> I don't think that picked up. <laughs> I'm your host, Jason Venable, and hopefully um, Denise will be able to jump in and join us here in a little bit. Um, I kind of feel like we've, we've been ships passing in the night, but um, you know, hopefully we can uh, come together here for a little bit. This is another baby bonus episode for the month of March. When I thought was going to kick off the newest X-Men event, um, after reading it, I'm not sure how eventy it's going to be. I guess we'll kind of see. Um, none of the other books are ready to uh, interact, <laughs> so I don't know. But anyway, we have Apocalypse Wars. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so we'll definitely get to that and we'll cover the rest of the stuff that came out this past week for Wolverine as well. Quick disclaimer, we've had a, oddly enough, a few, uh, extra listening traffic this month. And so a little bit disclaimer as we've been doing the bonus episodes after the birth of our son. Um, you know, hopefully you're enjoying the, the snack size episodes, but... Also, if you're just trying this out, I hope you won't be too discouraged by the short, unorganized episodes. Um, you know, we'll be back to our regular regular schedule um, probably in April. You know, it's kind of needed to, to take a month. We don't want to take a month off, but we needed some time to kind of adjust to having a, a new baby. So, you know, and all the, all the stuff that goes with taking care of the little guy. So, um... Anyway, so hopefully you're enjoying the, the small episodes to kind of, you know, bridge the gap. But um, also feel free to go listen to some older episodes or, you know, just just wait for the, the regular stuff coming up soon. So, yeah, um, we're going to talk about Apocalypse Wars first. Apocalypse Blue Lips, an extraordinary X-Men number eight. This has two stories. We have Omega World which is written by Jeff Lemire, penciled by Umberto Ramos, inks by Victor Olazaba, colors by Edgar Delgado. And uh, I think it wasn't credited, but I think it's the same. Letters by Joe Caramagna. Um, Strange Magic, with a K, with the Strange Magic. No, 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 no. Or whatever, however that. ELO, that's ELO, right? Electric Light Orchestra, I believe so. Um, anyway, this is written by Jeff Lemire, art by Victor Ibanez, colors by Soto Color, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. The cover is by Ramos and Delgado, and it is a nice homage to X Factor number six, you know, back to Apocalypse's beginnings. Um, and we have the big floating apocalypse head that reminds me of, um, uh, what's that movie? Zardoz, what I'm thinking of. We have the big floating Zardoz head. Venus is evil. However <laughs> that goes. Um, with the X-Men kind of floating around it, we have, of course, Kirby Crackle and the mouth disease um, with Apocalypse in his big blue lips and 
Kirby crackle all around his big giant head. Um, it's a, I mean, it's a cool cover and what it's referencing. Um, it's not nearly as good as the original, I don't personally think. But um, it's fine, I guess. But that is all the apocalypse we get is the big floating head on the cover. Otherwise, we just get hints of what might be coming. And what might be coming, you ask? Well, we start off with Storm kind of moping in the office. And we have some story progression in two panels. Uh, We basically determine that Colossus has been fairly successful training the kids. Um, And Nightcrawler is kind of back, at least approaching back to himself out on missions. Uh, Both of these felt a little bit like a cheat. You know, we don't see... You know, one panel of, of Colossus training the kids in the, in the whatever the makeshift danger room is now. It's kind of disappointing. Is that like, that's like X-Men bread and butter. Is like, you know, scenes in the danger room, the team kind of working out the kinks and their interactions between team members and how they kind of bond and stuff. And so getting all that development in one panel is kind of a ripoff. And um, as much as I hated and was even somewhat offended by what Lemire has done with Nightcrawler so far. Also, just kind of seeing him back in action in one panel kind of feels a little cheap again. Um, But that's what we get. Uh, Old Man Logan and Storm share a moment in the office talking about time and destiny and fate and all that. Uh, You know, this is kind of getting to be um, Logan's end with the ladies. That's how he started his bond with young Gene and now he plays that card with Storm, and they decide they don't have to face the future alone. So I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily want Grandpa Lipless Logan hooking up with Storm, and I don't know if this Logan had the relationship with Storm that we saw right before our Logan died. But, you know, anything is preferential preferential to uh, the will-they-won't-they they of, of Grandpa Logan and Jailbait Gene. Um, which get that hashtag going, jailbait gene. Let's, uh, let's get that going on the old Twitter. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. That's fine. Um, kind of over Ramos's bitter bear face, old man Logan. I prefer Sorrentino's version in the solo book, but you know, it's fine. Anyway, Forge comes in. He's, di- he's discovered 600 new mutant signatures, which shouldn't be possible because the Terrigen Mist has prevented new, I mean, it's sterilized mutants, so there shouldn't be any born um, anymore. So, of course, we got to go check it out. Colossus decides this would be a great test for his new team. You know, because what could possibly go wrong with 600 new mutants that they don't know anything about? Right? <laughs> Send in the rookies. So they do. This team is uh, Glob Herman, uh, Martha, uh, No Girl, is that her name? The, the lady, the brain in the jar that's attached to Martha's wrist, like a little balloon. Um, and then we have a Null. And they come in with Cerebra, teleports them to the sig- signatures, and they find a very distorted Sugar Man. We're almost as good at drawing grotesque creatures and Sugar Man looks pretty nasty. Of course, he usually does. 
Um, and so he has all 600 mutants in in an orb, and he has genetically engineered 600 perfect mutant embryos separated from the Terrigen Mist, isolated, uncontaminated. And he's going to take them to a safe place. The future. The future, Conan? In the year 2000. Anyway, um, yeah. But, of course, Colossus and the X-Men start fighting the Sugar Man. And he's like, no, no, stop. And then the other X-Men show up for backup. And they ruin the Sugar Man's plans, including a, a scene of uh, Old Man Logan slicing and dicing the Sugar Man's nasty-ass tongue. And then somehow the stuff gets activated and Colossus and his team are sent to the future with the Ark, which is what Sugar Man called his little device that was protecting the mutant embryos. And so, of course, Logan and Gene are particularly concerned about, you know, being from different times and stuff. And, of course, Logan's future was uh, total shit. So he's like, whoa, we can't leave those kids in the future. The future is terrible. It blows. So... They decide they've got to they've got to try to track him down. And Forge thinks he can. He can do it. He can send them to the right coordinates and the right time. And so he does. And we get a cool like full page splash of like the X Men bending through time. Um, it's probably the best page in the book, to be honest. Anyway, they they go to a future jungle city land. You know where where the city is overrun by nature. And they meet the students, but they're all grown up. Um, Anol looks particularly badass. Um, but again, we're, we're missing a lot of story here. A lot of time has passed for them, but not for the other X-Men. Um, and of course, you know Anol, like, with, he can regenerate, but when he loses, like, a limb or whatever, it comes back really big. That's why he has one big arm and one small arm. So I'm really curious to know whether this super bulky Anol is just natural growth. Like, he just, you know, that's what happened when he got older. Or if it's all, like, related to trauma. The good news is, going forward in this event, we may actually get to see some of this story. Um, I don't know if we'll get to see the other stuff I talked about that we missed with the, the danger room training and, and Nightcrawler and kind of getting back to normal. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. But then we meet the new four horsemen. They're here trying to... to Take the Ark back. Uh, our young X-Men have been protecting it this whole time. And we have Colossus leading the Horsemen. That's bad news. And we have a Venom symbiote, Deadpool, and a female Moon Knight. And I gotta say, the design by Ramos on the, the future female Horseman Moon Knight is the highlight of the issue. It's just a really cool design. You know, Ramos has kind of a thing that he does... And that thing works really well on this character design for, for Moon Knight. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, you know, what we get isn't bad. The art's okay. The story's okay. I'm not nearly as interested in what happens on the page, though, as I am what happened not on the page, like off panel. Um, like I said, the training in the Danger Room, I would have really loved to have seen, you know, at least a whole issue or more of that. You know, Nightcrawler back going out on missions. You know, give me some... Show him, like, getting prepared to leave. Like, this, this is a big step, you know. I hate what Lemire did, but he's got to rebound from it, and it needs to be organic. And this just kind of felt like, oh, okay, yeah, we got to hurry and get to this uh, this future apocalypse story, so let's, you know, rush it right along. And it just felt... It felt cheap. Um, yeah. 
So, I don't know. Uh, the backup story, the arts, okay. Um, basically, Magic is taking um, Sapna, our new student, uh, to see Doctor Strange. You know, she kind of had the freak out in the limbo, and she wants some mystical help. And basically, it turns out that she's like a Magic Dun- Doug Ramsey. Uh, she can just really absorb languages and everything and because her powers manifested in a limbo she like sucked up all this demon magic knowledge and but she had can only sold ho- <coughs> she can only hold so much at a time it seems at least for now and so she can't really gain any other skills right now but she has all this magic stuff inside um and that's pretty much the gist of it uh i kind of waver between a three and four claws on this book I think had I really been enjoying the series up to this point, I would give it the benefit of a doubt. But because I haven't necessarily been loving this series, because I didn't really care about the backup, which I don't want to be unfair. I like Sapna. I'm interested in her and kind of want to see what happens to her. But the story itself didn't do much for me. So I'm going to give Extraordinary X-Men number eight the first part of Apocalypse Wars. Um, I'm going to give it three out of six claws. So next up, we have a little X marks the spot with all new X-Men number six. Uh, This is written by Dennis Hopeless with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by Andrew Hennessy, colors by Nolan Woodard, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And the Hey, here's Denise. What's up, everybody? And the the cover is by uh, Bagley, Hennessy, and Woodard. And, it, and it's basically a giant blob trying to eat the all-new X-Men. I didn't really... I've been enjoying the, the covers of this book the last few issues, but didn't really care. Didn't really care for this one that much. What do you think of this, Denise? Uh, it reminded me of one of those troll dolls from, like, the 80s. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. So, uh... What happens in this book? What's the gist of it? The gist? The gist is everybody fights the blob and Angel kicks his butt. That's pretty much the gist. Okay. <laughs> Short and sweet. Yeah. Um, it is interesting because the story kind of rotates between points of views with internal narration from character to character. We get a lot of really good kind of development and personality and as everyone kind of we don't really get a lot of teamwork. Everyone kind of takes their own crack at the blob. Well, and I think that's what I like about this. I think that's what I like about this book is that everyone sort of has their own opinion of how they're going to fight the blob and why they're going to fight the blob. Um, but nobody really wins, per se, except for the very end. And then everyone's like, whoa, damn. Yeah, so Angel Bust Loose uh, goes super violent, kind of actually stabs the blob in the eye with some rebar, um, uses his fire wings, kind of does an explosion, knocks him out, and kind of him and Laura have a moment. Um, which is funny, because I think he was trying to, to teach Laura a lesson and be like, hey, you know, it's kind of scary when you go off and half cocked and do this, but Laura, I think Laura's Wolverine's actually kind of impressed. <laughs> Yeah, I think his uh, I'm going to teach you a lesson just completely backfired on him. Yeah. Because he's like, what? Was I stupid, reckless, embarrassing? And Wolverine's like, 
No, actually, it's kind of hot. <laughs> um, yeah, we get lots of interaction. We, uh, you know, we, we get kind of ID's thing where she she's mad at God, but she still believes in God, which I I like that. I like that they didn't just take the easy way out and say, "Well, stuff's tough, so I'm gonna completely abandon my faith," which you know would be writing kind of the easy way. You just dismiss it, but she, they're actually gonna struggle with ID and. Not to say that she'll keep it forever, but, you know, it's good to see, like, an actual journey in a character arc. I, I do have a question about this, though. You know, she, her and Bobby both go back and forth um, and talk about her being Catholic. Is this the first time that we're discovering she's Catholic? I was trying to remember if they had specified denomination before. Um, she definitely grew up in a very strict Christian family. And that's kind of when, when, because she's one of the five lights um, from an old X-Men story where, where Hope, who was kind of supposed to be the mutant messiah at a time where there were no more, at, a, at another different time when there were no more mutants being born, um, Hope was born. And so everyone's like, well, that's crazy. And then there were five more and they were called the five lights and Hope had to kind of go gather them. And Idy was one of them and she was from Africa, I think. And grew up in a very strict religious family. I was trying to remember before if they had specified it being Catholic. I know in the Wolverine and the X Men book that she was visiting a priest. Okay. So, so I I think we we knew that. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Like this whole fight, she's like protecting the Cathedral of Notre Dame. So, that's right, Notre Dame. Yeah, I was about to correct you. Um, I'm from Texas. I will say uh, what I did like about this is that because, you know, in real life, when people have struggles of faith, they, some people do completely give up their faith and some people do struggle with, no, this is what I believe in, but yet, uh, why does this happen? And I think the struggle of why does something, why is something happening to me when I have complete faith? I think that's a bigger struggle. And I, I like the fact that they're examining it and, you know, going this route instead of, like you said, the easy way of just dismissing. Right. Or just saying, oh, well, I believe in God. Everything's good. Like, like taking kind of the middle road and actually showing, like I said, just a character arc and a journey um, that makes it more real. I also, another couple of things to talk about. I, I enjoyed that the blob kept maintaining that he just wanted to be left alone. And this is the X-Men's fault and this fight's even happening. All I loved how he was like, I just wanted my four, my five-course meal. Right. Now all the restaurants are closed, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and we also get a part where um, Toad shows up and kidnaps Cyclops. Um, of course, remember when he saw Cyclops on the news at the bar, he was super pissed. But he keeps saying, he said, this is bigger than both of us. So I'm wondering if he... If someone else is maybe pulling his strings, um, he's always kind of been a henchman before anyway. So I'm curious to see. And of course, we know from last issue there was a mysterious figure in the shadows. So just curious to see how it goes. Um, I think the way this toad is drawn is very interesting, too. He almost looks like a hulk with a slimy tongue. Yeah, he's small, but yeah, he is kind of pudgy and whatever, which I like that. So this is the podcast that goes snicked, and of course we had a couple of pages of 
of inner dialogue from Wolverine. Uh, what did you think of, of Hopeless's kind of giving us a glimpse into her mind? I thought it was interesting. You know, after I read this, I kind of thought to myself, do I think that this Wolverine, because she's pissed. She's pissed that Angel broke up with her. She's like, I'm the Wolverine. All he does is nag about this and nag about that. And, you know, this week it was this and this week it was that. But I'm, I was trying to debate as a woman, you know, all of her dialogue makes sense, especially when a guy breaks up with you. It's like psh, his loss. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm struggling with would her character as Wolverine be as upset over it? Or is this her take on the Wolverine, which, you know, like I said before, her impetuousness to run into danger didn't seem like a Laura thing, but then her, why did he just break up with me, does seem like a Laura thing. Yeah, well, she talks about how much she hates talking, which is funny, like, <laughs> just be with silent me. <laughs> um but, you know, but she does make a point, though. She says, he's so worried about me being hurt all the time, and so his solution is to dump me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's typical kind of inner turmoil in a relationship. And at the end of the relationship, you're trying to figure out what went wrong. And I, I thought it was kind of funny because, you know, Laura is Logan's clone, and she doesn't really, it's not quite willing to take, like, 100% responsibility for, like, you know, maybe she caused the breakup. <laughs> well, which is a very Logan thing to do. Yes, but it's it's also a very what's knee jerk reaction for women when they get when somebody dumps them, be like, their problem is their problem. It's not my problem. Yeah, possibly so. Um, but yeah, so I enjoyed that. Um, what did you think of the art overall in this issue? Uh, there there were parts I liked and there were parts that I was a little on the fence about, but for overall, I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. And I'm still really enjoying this story. I feel like the last few issues this book has really picked up. Um, you know, and uh, Hopeless kind of did something here uh, to compare to like good classic X-Men. You know, Claremont would, would write issues and he would kind of change writing styles from issue to issue so he didn't just... Not only were the stories changing, but he wasn't writing them all the same way. And this is a different issue for Hopeless, where we haven't really had this kind of everyone takes a, a minute to show us inner dialogue in the same fight. And so I, I enjoyed that he kind of broke up the style of the story to do something different, to tell it differently, and I appreciated that. Yeah, I did too. I liked reading everyone's kind of point of view, especially, you know, when they would fight the blob. And I love Cyclops's inner dialogue of, we're never going to win this if everyone fights on their own. Because <laughs> that, that's very much a common X-Men theme. Right. Yeah, I agree. So overall, what do you want to grade all new X-Men number six? With as much love as I've been giving the book, um, as far as this issue goes, and I, I did like everyone's kind of take on fighting the blob, and I love the blob's stance of I just want to eat you guys are interrupting my dinner time I I did labor over reading some of it and so I'm going to give it four out of six okay I'm kind of pinged between a, a four and a five 
This is why I'm liking the art. I'm not loving the art so much, but it was a fun read. Um, but I think overall I'm going to go with you. I'm going to give it a really strong... You know what? This to be different. I'll go five out of six. I w- I'm I'm right on the line between you a four. You just have to be different, don't you? Yes, I was right. I'm right on the line between a four and a five. So since you went four, I'll go five. And yeah, you know, plus I w- I think people should read this book. I think if you like, like kind of, th- this this feels like X Men more necessarily probably than extraordinary or uncanny right now. And this feels like just good old fashioned classic fun X Men. So if you're a fan of that. And the other books have things going for them. Um, Uncanny feels like X-Force, you know, more recent incarnations, and it's good, too. Um, But this has a very distinct feel to it that I'm really kind of enjoying, especially these last few issues with the Blob story have been really good. So that is X marks the spot. So real quick to round out the episode, we have a really quick Wolverine roundup. Yee! Ha! <laughs> uh, Sabretooth appears in a flashback panel in Power Man and Iron Fist number two. This is written by David Walker, art by Sanford Green, colors by the amazing Lee Luffridge, letters and production by VCs Clayton Cowles. Uh, the cover is by Sanford Green, and I love this cover. Um, is basically Luke Cage and Iron Fist walking down the street with some bad guys he just beat up. I love the colors on this cover. I think it's kind of, it's, I kind of laugh, I kind of enjoy that Iron Fist is basically wearing a <coughs> tracksuit with uh, like street running shoes. And then his little mask. It's kind of funny. Um, and then of course Green is drawing Luke Cage as a mountain of a man. And in the cover, he's very, a very sharply dressed mountain. And I don't know, I just, I really enjoy, I think it's the colors for me, my Luffridge, that really popped this cover for me, but I like it a lot. I like how he integrated um, the street signs in the background. He integrated them into, I guess, um, the stuff, you know, you normally just slap on the cover, like number two, digital edition but they all look like the street signs on the posts yes he incorporated <coughs> he incorporated kind of the necessary elements of the cover right that have to be there for publishing purposes and made it part of the cover design like even the marvel banner is a street sign so yeah i agree i, I didn't think about that but that's really cool all right well, i won't spend too much time on this uh basically Iron Fist is trying to get the, the heroes for higher team back together, and Luke Cage is having none of that fiddle-faddle. <laughs> Which he says is the word he's using to try not to curse in front of his baby. So he's been trying to make himself quit cussing, which is funny. Um, so he, he says, I have none of that fiddle-faddle. But there's been rumors of them getting back together because they, uh, they're one of their old... Um, co-workers asked them to steal back their grandmother's necklace from the mobster tombstone and they did and i guess people heard about it this news spreads fast in the underworld so tombstone puts out a big bounty he wants the necklace back he wants power man and iron fist um luke cage and danny Rand. he wants them so he starts so bad guys start coming after him 
but they're sitting in a diner reminiscing about old times and um one of the scenes is them fighting Sabretooth and the Constrictor, which is of course issues that we've covered in our flashback episodes before. So that's our little Sabretooth flashback panel. Anyway, and they beat up some bad guys and kind of find out that they were played, that their old friend um it wasn't grandma's necklace, it was the Soul Stone Medallion. What's it called? Amulet. Um Oh, no. The Super Soul Stone is what it's called. And, of course, it has magical, mystical powers. Uh, there's one thing where uh, Iron Fist is talking about how his relationship to mysticism. He says, oh, I know mysticism. I fart mystical powers. And Luke Cage is like, what? No. <laughs> and that's just kind of a, an example. Um, the art in this book is, is really good. I enjoy it. It's very stylized, but it works. And, of course... Luffridge, for me, on colors, can do no wrong. Um, this kind of muted, just yellows and greens and oranges that he does a lot, um, just feels really right on this book. Um, and this book's just really fun and funny and kind of takes some of the good parts of the old kind of team-up from the, the late 70s, early 80s that they had, um... And updates it and, you know, kind of dresses it up in modern storytelling and modern dialogue. But it works really well. Um, I'm surprised at how much I'm enjoying this book. So I'm going to give Power Man and Iron Fist number two a very solid five out of six claws and um, would recommend reading it. So that is our Wolverine Roundup. Yeehaw! And that's going to do it for our snack size baby bonus episode. Um, yeah, we talked about Apocalypse War, and we talked about all new X Men, and we talked about one Sabretooth panel in a comic I really liked. <laughs> and that's it. So, um, yeah, um, I don't know what'll be next. Uh, probably keep doing these, these little episodes at least until we get out of March, and then we'll hopefully get back to. And regular stuff. So, um, as usual, like the Facebook page. Uh, Twitter is at SnickCast. That's where all the fun is. Email us, SnickCast at Yahoo.com. Show notes and stuff are SnickCast.Podbean.com. And until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye. Bye. And snacked.